0: Good morning, church. You guys look great this morning. Hey, would you turn to the person next to you and just let them know you look great this morning. And if you're watching online, a big welcome, wherever you're joined with us from. Hey, we've got some handsome gentlemen in the aisles. They have sermon sidekicks. We're starting a new series. So for free dollars this morning, you can get one of those and take notes, grab yourself a sermon sidekick. The series is on miracles. I love the Christmas season, the season of miracles. When we break out the prayer tree ornaments, by the way, fair warning, these are fragile. If you drop it, it will shatter and your prayer will not be answered." (laughs) I'm just kidding. We'll just put it in another ornament. But I love the season of miracles, the Christmas season. How many of you have heard the saying, it's a Christmas miracle? Yes, you all have, because it's in like 98% of Hallmark movies ever made. There's always a moment where they need a Christmas miracle. Now, we use that word so frequently that I think it's become a bit watered down. Earlier this week, when we got all of that snow, some of you said, it's a Christmas miracle. And those of you who aren't cheering, when it melted, you said, it's a miracle, right? (laughs) First service was saying amen to that. Some of you moms, this Thanksgiving, nobody spilled on your new carpet and you said, it's a miracle, others of you, football fans, you're watching the Lions going, if they would just win a game, it would be a miracle, right? We use that word so often, I'm afraid it's lost a bit of its meaning. One of my favorite theologians, his name is C.S. Lewis, this is how he describes a miracle. Lewis says, a miracle is an interference with nature by supernatural power. In other words, For a miracle to occur, something must cause it from outside of the natural. It must involve the supernatural. If you're like me, maybe you've looked at one of those giant jets flying through the sky, a 737, and you've gone, how can all of those tons of steel with hundreds of people in it just float through the air like a bird? It's a miracle. Maybe you've looked at a gigantic cruise ship And you're like, how can that thing so heavy float just like a duck? It's a miracle. But really those things aren't miracles. That's just natural things that can be explained by science. A plane flying through the sky is really just a matter of air pressure and velocity. It's not a miracle. A a ship floating on the water. It's just a matter of water displacement and mass. It's not a miracle. When we talk about a miracle, we are talking about the supernatural entering the natural. So then to truly have a miracle, it presupposes the supernatural. To truly have a miracle, there must exist something outside of our world to cause it. Are you still tracking with me so far this morning as we begin? Us Christians, we we believe that. We look at creation and we go, I don't know, guys. It doesn't really look like all of this just happened by chance. It kind of looks like there's some design to this, like our world was finely tuned for life. It looks like something or someone may have created from outside of our world. And then when we read our Bibles, we learn just who that creator is. The first page of your Bible says, In the beginning, God... And it goes on to tell us how God created the heavens and the earth and the fish and the birds and the people. And we read on and we learn about this creator. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. But he's also good. And he's loving. In fact, he loved his creation, the world he created so much that John 3 tells us he gave his son to enter in to die and redeem it. He's a loving creator. This is the Christmas story. The creator entering his creation, the supernatural coming into the natural. This is why when we talk about Christmas, there can be no Christmas without Christ. This is the greatest miracle to ever happen in our world. So as we begin the miracle series this morning, going the next handful of weeks through Christmas, What we're gonna talk about is how the birth of Christ brought the miracle of hope to this earth, the miracle of peace, the miracle of joy, and the miracle of love. Does that sound good to you this morning? All right. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? And I'd just love to pray as we jump in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you, God, for creating us. And Jesus, we praise your name. We cry out hallelujah because you cared enough to enter this world and die for those you created. We love you and we worship you. You're here this morning. You're alive, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would awaken your church, that you'd give us hearts that rejoice at your word as it goes out, and you'd give us minds to receive it. We love you. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter one. It's the beginning of the Christmas story. And I wanna start with a question as we talk about the miracle of hope. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt hopeless? You felt devoid of hope. I can think of situations in my life where there was not enough money in the bank account to pay rent and I thought, I felt pretty hopeless. I can think of times where there wasn't enough time to accomplish a project or to spend with a loved one, and it felt kind of hopeless. On a lighter note, there have been many times, I'm sure you've experienced this too, where you've been on a phone call with a customer service agent, and they don't have the answer, so they pass you on to another representative and another one, and you're on hold for three hours just to be hung up on, and you're like, this is hopeless, right? We've all experienced hopelessness. And yet, the most hopeless I've ever felt in my life Were a few times when I felt far from God A few times when I felt I could not hear the voice of the Lord Utterly hopeless And this is how the Christmas story starts In your Bible, as you're reading through the Old Testament The beginning of the Bible It ends with a prophet named Malachi If you turn the page in your Bible, you go from the prophets to the Messiah entering the world. You turn to Matthew with just the flip of a page. But what you pass over is a period of about 400 years called the intertestamental period. This is the part that isn't written into your Bible between the Old and the New Testament. Scholars call this period the silent years because for 400 years, we have no word from the Lord. This was a dark time. This was a silent time. And in this period of 400 years, the people of God, not only have they not heard a word from the Lord, but they've come under Roman occupation. They're ruled by an opposing country. This is a dark period. And yet, the silent years would not last forever. Why? Well, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And hundreds of years earlier, he spoke of this time. In chapter 9, verse 2, Isaiah wrote, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For 400 years, man, it might have been dark. It might have been silent. It might have been hopeless. But they had some news. There was a great light that was going to dawn. And so for 400 years, they clung to this promise, and yet there was no word of the Lord. Have you ever felt that way? Like, God, I've got a promise from you, but I just, where are you at? Like, I can't hear your voice. I know I have. And then after 400 years, we're introduced to a man in Luke chapter one by the name of Zechariah, and the silent years are broken. Zechariah scripture tells us as a priest Not only is he a priest, but it's his turn to enter the temple He's been chosen on this special day to offer incense in the prayers of the nation to the lord And so he enters into the temple and outside of the temple surrounding it are the people offering up their prayers Here's the thing about Zechariah though If there's anyone to offer hope for a nation, it might not be this guy What we learn about Zechariah the priest as we read on Is one, that he's very old And two, that him and his wife are barren They're infertile And in those days they would have thought That meant that you're cursed That meant that you must have sinned Or done something wrong That the Lord would have closed your womb Personally, this guy seems pretty hopeless Not only that, professionally There's been 400 years without a word from the Lord Who knows when you're a priest and it's your job to hear from the Lord, that makes it hard to do your job. That's like if you're a weatherman and your radar's been broken for 400 years and you don't know whether to tell people to pack a picnic or to pack snow pants, kind of like in Michigan, right? It's kind of hard to do your job. And so he walks into the temple, burns incense, and it's likely that he would have prayed that the prophesied Messiah would come to his people. And as he is praying, in this moment, 400 years of silence are broken. As he's praying, a being appears next to the altar. It's not a prophet like the Lord has spoken through previously. It's an angel. It's a heavenly being. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 13 of chapter 1. The angel appears to Zechariah. And he says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. This is going to be a special child. He's going to be great, and many are going to rejoice Because of that, he's never to take wine or other fermented drink. In other words, set him apart to the Lord. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. You guys remember Elijah? Elijah. This is the great prophet in the Old Testament Who took his cloak and split a body of water This is the guy who singularly faced Hundreds of prophets of Baal And called down fire from the sky To prove that Yahweh was the true God This is the guy who, before Jesus walked the earth Resurrected a dead child He's gonna be in the spirit and the power of Elijah? Yeah This is a special, special child And he'll turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, get this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Although John's going to be great, his job is but to prepare the way for the Lord. And remember, Zechariah is a priest. He's familiar with the scriptures. He knows that the angel is referencing another prophecy from Isaiah, the same prophet who prophesied about the people living in darkness who will see a great light. In chapter 40 of verse, in verse 3, the prophet Isaiah says about this forerunner of Christ, he will be a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so after 400 years of silence from God, an angel appears to an elderly, infertile priest and says, God's giving you a son. Name him John. He's the one the prophet Isaiah prophesied about. He's gonna be great. And his job is going to be to prepare the way for the Messiah. And maybe at some point in your life, you've heard something that just sounded too good to be true. I think that's what happens to Zechariah in this moment because he replies to the angel and he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. You guys, Zechariah looks in the face of an angel and tells him why God's plan is not gonna work. This is just comical. He says, how can I be sure? And take note of this, guys. He says, I'm an old man but what he does not do is call his wife old. What does he say? He says, I'm old, but she's well along in years, right? Like I'm elderly, but she's mature. This guy's got some wisdom about him, right? I think he's terrified of the angel, but he's got a holy fear of his wife. I'm old. She's well along in years, right? And he goes along and he starts telling the angel about menopause and how that works and how she's long past it. And the angel's are like, are you kidding me? And he looks at him and he replies (laughs) so comically. And he says, I am Gabriel. Like, dude, you're talking to an angel. What more proof do you need? Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. You're telling me you're too old? I stand in the presence of the ancient of days, the alpha and the omega, the one who existed before time began, and you're too old? You're telling me that her womb is closed and somehow that's a problem to the one who spoke breath into dust and created life? I've come from God with a message of hope. And the angel is not pleased with Zechariah's response because he says, you're gonna be mute for the next nine months while you wait for this baby to come. Zechariah, he stumbles out of the temple and he starts motioning to the people. And he's trying to show, he's doing ISL, Israelite sign language. I don't know why I started doing like baseball signs there. He's trying to communicate and they realize after 400 years, there has been a word from the Lord. And I empathize with Zechariah because I too often have doubts. God, how's this going to work out? God, are you sure you can use me? And I think Zechariah, after years and decades of him and Elizabeth trying to have a child unsuccessfully, I just think he doesn't want to be let down. Like, man, don't tell me, don't get my hopes up if it's not gonna be true. We've already closed the door to this. I don't wanna go through this emotional cycle again. Don't tell me this if it's not gonna be true. How can I be sure? Have you ever had that? You feel like God's given you a word, but you just kinda doubt, you're just not sure. I remember in 2017. Um, I'd been dating my now wife for about two years and it seemed like everyone around us was getting engaged and it was frustrating because there was nothing more that I wanted than to just put a ring on her finger And I'd been saving up my money. My budget was about $3,000, which was a lot for a Bible college student. And two times I'd saved up my budget and both times right after I had an emergency in my life and it wiped out my ring fund. This was the third time I'm trying to save up for the ring and everyone else is getting engaged. I'm working two jobs, full-time college student and picking up side jobs to try and push me back to that three grand mark. One Sunday morning, 5 a.m., I'm driving my old 90s Toyota Corolla with two guys in the back, driving them back to the airport for 50 bucks to try and put me to that three grand. I've got the airport in sight. It's 5 a.m. I'm exhausted. Got church afterwards. And I look to the left and I look back in front of me and the Jeep in front of me has locked up his brakes. And I slam on the brakes and screech to a halt, but I couldn't stop fast enough and I slammed into his rear end and it totaled my car. And I was devastated. I was so close again. I began to doubt so many things. I began to doubt if I'd ever be able to propose, if I'd ever be able to get married. I began to doubt if God really called me, if he was really going to come through, and that's what happens, isn't it? When life gets tough, it shrinks our perspective from a heavenly supernatural just to the natural. We begin to think in those moments, how can I do this in my own strength? For me, I was thinking, uh, maybe I can get a bike and ride my bike to one of my two jobs, but that won't work because I got to pick up Allison. Maybe I can get another job. No, that won't work because I don't have enough time. I have assessments. Maybe I can borrow money. No, that, that won't work. And we begin to think, how can we do this in our own strength? And that's what Zechariah does. He begins to think, no, I'm too old. I'm way past childbearing years. So is Elizabeth. How can I be sure this is gonna happen? He thinks there's no way. But what I wanna tell you this morning as we enter into the Christmas season, the season of miracles, as we come before God with our requests is that when you are out of options, you're in the perfect place for a miracle. When there's no way in your own strength, You are in the perfect place for a miracle. Why? Because when you're out of options, do you know what else you are? You're out of God's way. Because then when he does it, all the glory will go to him. And some of you in this room this morning, man, you're out of options and you know it. Maybe there's a recent unemployment situation and you don't know how the finances are gonna work out and it looks like there's no way, can I tell you? You are in the perfect position for a miracle this morning. Some of you, there's a diagnosis before you and you wanna believe the word of the Lord, but you've also got the word of the doctor in the back of your mind and there's nothing you can do. Can I remind you, friend? Can I encourage you? That when there is no way When you're out of options You're in the perfect position For the great physician to heal You're in the perfect position For the one who had stripes on his back So you could be healed Some of you You've got a prodigal child You've got a friend Who's so far from the Lord And you're like I know the life they're living Opposite to the gospel I don't even think they like Christians I'm pretty sure they're mad at the church There's no way Is there even a point praying? Friend When you are out of options, you are in the perfect position for a miracle. You are in the perfect position for the supernatural to invade your natural. Amen? And I remember that morning, a little after 5 a.m., got everything sorted. I got a big police ticket, and I headed back to town. And I called Allison, and I was just devastated, and I snapped, and I just started weeping on the phone. You know I've been wanting to propose to you And you know I had the money saved And this happened And now I can't propose to you And now I can't even go to work I don't even know how I'm going to go to church I I don't know how this is going to work out And I just snapped And I was just weeping on the drive home And Allison said Are you coming to church? (laughs) Praise God for a good wife Praise God for a wife Who knows what really matters And I said I don't think so I'm just like so down I think I'm just going to go home And go to sleep And I went to church And I'm glad I did. Because oftentimes when life knocks you down, it can be so tempting to just say, God, why did you let that happen? God, why didn't you protect me? And we can get mad at God, but in reality, there's no better place for you to be when you're out of options than in the presence of people who can lift your eyes back to the one who can do something about your situation. There's no better place to be than in the presence of the God who created you and cares about you. And that morning, I was all upset with God and worship team started and they started singing this song. New back then, it was tell the devil, no, not today. Whenever I sing your name, Jesus, I'll tell the devil, no, not today. And something just fired up in my spirit. I got so mad at the enemy. Not today, devil. The God's been faithful to me in the past and he'll be faithful to me in the future. If he's called me to this, he will see me through it. And my faith just reignited, even though I didn't see the way. When you're out of options, you are perfectly positioned for a miracle. And that week, not a week later, one of my friends, also a Bible college student, knocked on the door and threw me the keys to another Toyota Corolla and said, keep it. Somebody else gave me a new car. I thought, are you kidding me? Not only that, six months later, I'd saved up and I had a ring on my now wife's finger and I thought, man, God is so good. When we can't see away, he's going ahead of us. And this is only the beginning of the message of hope in the Bible. We've only talked about John, the pre-runner, the messenger to the Messiah. The angel Gabriel, he gets sent on another assignment. It says in verse 26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. That name, Hebrew Yeshua, it means Savior, it means Yahweh is salvation. The angel says, you're going to have a son. Name him Savior. And he goes on. He says, he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel references another prophecy from the same prophet, Isaiah, Isaiah. This one from chapter nine, verse six, you might be familiar. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Mary, you're gonna have a son. Name him savior. His kingdom will never end. And Mary replies and says, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin Notice the similarities Between Zechariah's heavenly encounter And Mary's Both of them terrified Surprised with the presence Of an angel In fact, you know that you've seen an angel When their first words are Do not be afraid Once they've gathered themselves The angels both deliver Or the angel delivers good news to them both You're going to be given a child from the Lord And they both reply with the word, how? And yet, Zechariah's how ends with him being mute, and Mary's how ends with her being blessed. What's the difference? Notice that Zechariah says, how can this be? And Mary asks, how will this be? Zechariah's is an answer It's a question based in doubt And Mary's is one based in faith I know this is going to happen because you said it But how? They both are faced with an impossible situation 0% chance of pregnancy from an infertile womb And 0% from a virgin womb And yet one replies in doubt And one replies in faith And I want to tell you something this morning There's a lesson here You don't have to know the how To say yes You don't have to have the 10-step plan to how God's going to do it. You don't have to see the next five years of your life down the road to just say yes to a call from God on your life. Because rarely, if ever, when God calls you, does he give you the plan. If he did give you the plan, you probably wouldn't do it anyways. Think about Mary. She says, how will this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Sounds pretty good. But what the angel didn't tell her is that once she got pregnant, rumors were going to start to spread about her. She'd be kicked out of all her social circles because she had a child seemingly out of wedlock. The angel did not tell her, that when she was almost full term, she'd have to travel 90 miles walking or on a donkey to Bethlehem to take a census. The angel didn't tell her that when they got there, there wasn't going to be room in a hospital or a hotel, so she'd have to give birth in a manger. The angel didn't tell her either that once she raised the child, as an infant, King Herod was going to try and kill this child so they'd have to flee to a foreign country. The angel also did not tell her She would raise the Messiah as her son and love him. And then the people he came to save would crucify him, and she would stand watching him die on a cross heartbroken. Do you think that if God would have given her the full how, she would have said yes? I'm not sure. But with the limited information she has, this is her response. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And because of Mary's yes, hope is given to the world. Because of Mary's yes, the Creator enters the creation. Because of Mary's yes, the people who've been walking in darkness for 400 years suddenly see a great light. Why? Because God gave Mary the gift of a Messiah, and not knowing how it was going to work out, she said yes. And similarly, We've been given the gift of the gospel of Jesus. It still brings light to a dark world. All those years back, Isaiah wrote about them, that there would be a people walking in darkness, that there would be those living in a land of deep darkness. I don't think it takes long to look at the news and say, our world fits that bill, right? Our people still need a great light to dawn. And you and I have been given that message of hope. We've been given the light of the gospel. We have it to give out. We can go to the alcoholic and say, I have a message of hope. I I know one. I know a God who can fill that within you that you've been trying to fill with substances. We can go to the one who's been feeling purposeless or depressed and say, I have a message of hope. Let me introduce you to the giver of life that changed my world. We have a message of hope to those who've only ever experienced an upbringing of brokenness. We can say, I know one who's a chain breaker. If he did it for me, he can do it for you. We have a responsibility to share the gospel of hope. Peter, in 1 Peter 3, he says this. He says, you should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to tell people why you have a hope that does not make sense in this world. I wanna end with one story. Um, In Bible college, I spent four years at a church and the thing I loved, one of the things I loved about this church was that in front of all their buildings, they didn't put their name up there in really big letters. They didn't put a really big logo up. They put these words on the front of their buildings. Jesus, hope for humanity. So when you drove by their church, you didn't see a church brand. What you saw was that Jesus is hope for you. Throughout my years I got to travel to many of those campuses and every building has that message. Jesus, hope for humanity. Sometimes on a billboard, sometimes on the side of their wall, but each one said Jesus, hope for humanity. My third year there, I was interning with a guy who ran a lot of the behind the scenes. And one night, weekend night, we got a message that that, which was my campus, someone late in the a.m. hours did not like that the gospel of hope was going out in such profound ways. They didn't like that every weekend we were packing the building out and many people receiving the gospel of Jesus. And so what they did was late in the AM hours of the weekend, they took their van and they drove it through those glass doors, smashed them out and did donuts in the church lobby, destroyed the whole bookstore, wrecked everything so that we could not have church that weekend. In the early AM hours, I remember thinking, it's funny, I got this sign right above my head says Jesus hope for humanity, and yet I don't even know if there's hope for this weekend, right? And yet, a bunch of men came together and they worked all through the night clearing out that lobby, removing all the destruction. They put a little closed sign on the non-existent bookstore and they got it ready for church. Except for one problem: there was still a gaping hole in the glass that we couldn't cover up because there were custom-ordered doors and windows, and it was Saturday. And so someone had the bright idea of getting a bunch of streamers and taping them together end over end, like 30 or 40 feet long. And we covered that hole in the glass with streamers. And we had so many greeters by that door on that Sunday morning who said, hey, welcome into church, it's a party. Come on, there's hope for you. And people didn't even know that anything was wrong. They just entered into the party, that was church. And I remember thinking, Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. The truth is that in a world that might seem like it's getting darker and darker, that's simply an opportunity for the hope that you have in Jesus to shine brighter and brighter. So friends, don't keep it to yourself this week. There's hope for you and there's hope for the world around. Would you stand this morning? I'd love to pray for you as we go. But first, just some final instructions. We're gonna end with a couple songs. Thanks, Zach. And I'd like you to grab your ornament, and if you haven't already, fill something out on that paper, make it something bold, audacious, something that is way outside of your natural that only God could do. And then when the song starts, we're gonna wait. The kids are gonna come in first and they're gonna put their ornaments on the tree. After them, come up to the trees, do it row by row. So once the row in front of you goes, then you can go after them and spend a moment with the Lord. He created you, he cares for you. Lord, I thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice this morning. Thank you, God, for the hopeless and the hope-filled this morning for those whose hope is in you and they're filled up to overflowing and those who see no way forward. Thank you, Jesus, because you care, because you act when there is no way. And God, for those who maybe have never known you, for those who need to come into relationship with you, I ask that now would be the moment that they'd cry out and say, Lord, I'm sick of doing it on my own. Would you forgive me of my sin? I wanna follow you. And God, like Zechariah entering the temple this morning, we bring to you our bold prayer requests. And we ask that you would hear us and that you would move. And we know we will, Lord, because you're alive and you love us. If you believe it, in Jesus' name, would you shout out, amen.